Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 as we come to Matthew's gospel. And uh, while you're turning there, just uh, two brief housekeeping notes. Um, March 4th, Saturday, is going to be the actual day to help the Anaviruses move, not Friday, Saturday the 4th. So make a note on that. Um, you can, I think, talk to Mark or Matt probably about that if you're interested in helping, but that's going to be Saturday. And second, um, if you have, didn't, did not know about the potluck today or did not bring food, that's okay. We would still love to have you join us for that. There's always plenty of food at church potluck, so please join us for that fellowship afterwards. Uh, even if you don't feel prepared, we are prepared for you. So uh, please join us. Matthew chapter 11 is where we will be today. Matthew chapter 11. And we are coming to the end of this chapter in Matthew's gospel uh, this morning. And last week we heard Jesus describe the Father and the Son's united will in revealing the gospel to some, those who are like little children, and concealing it from others, the, the so-called wise and understanding. Um, now, this may have raised a question for some of you. Will God reveal the gospel to me? How do I know he's revealed it to me? And in this last section of Matthew's Gospel, this beloved, well-known, often quoted section of Matthew 11, Jesus extends an invitation to sinners. He extends an invitation to those who are weary, to those who are laboring, those who are heavy laden. He invites them to come and find rest in Him. And J.C. Ryle whets our appetite for these verses when he says that they meet the trembling sinner who asks, will Christ reveal the Father's love to such a one as me? With the most gracious encouragement. The most gracious encouragement. Uh, as we come to this text, uh, there's a question we should consider. Are you at rest? Are you at rest? Is your soul at rest? Is your heart at peace? Are you troubled by your sin or by your circumstances, your conflicts, your failures, your communications? Then Jesus' words are for you. Let's read, starting in verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the word of God. We see three things in this text. Three things in this text. First, Christ's invitation to sinners in verse 28 and 29. We see in verse 29, Christ's heart for sinners. And finally, in 29 and 30, we see Christ's promise for sinners. His invitation, his heart, and his promise for sinners. Again, in, in the previous verses, 25 through 27, uh, Christ describes the, the mysterious purposes and providences of God in choosing and calling some and not others to salvation. But here in this morning's text, Jesus extends a general, universal call to all who would listen. The first words of verse 28, come to me, in the Greek, is not actually a command. It's an invitation. It's an invitation. 
There's a different force to it. Perhaps the same kind of difference between saying to your child, get over here right now, and saying, hey, come here. It is an invitation. He encourages sinners to come, not to the Pharisees, not to Moses, but to him. Come to me. And in this invitation, we see immediately a striking difference between Christ and the religious teachers of his day. He does not push sinners away from himself. I can't be around you. But he invites them to come to him. He desires that they would draw near to him. And Jesus extends this call to a particular kind of sinner. He says, all who labor and are heavy laden. Now that doesn't mean that Jesus is limiting the invitation per se, but rather that only the laboring and heavy laden will care. Only those who are weary and burdened down will hear his invitation and will consider it and care. This is not an invitation that will be heard by the, by the wise, the proud, the self-reliant, the self-righteous, the self-content. They will not hear and they will not consider Jesus' invitation. Why would they? I don't need to come to Jesus. I've got this covered. They do not have ears to truly hear it. No, Jesus' invitation here is for the weary, the laboring, the weighed down and heavy laden. For those who recognize that that's who they are. Those who recognize that as their condition. It's an invitation that those who, who are um, cognizant and conscious of their lack of righteousness before God will hear. It's an invitation for those who have had their eyes open to their sin and who have had their heart pricked by God. They will hear this invitation. They have ears to hear. And Jesus describes uh, these sinners he's inviting as laboring. Laboring, toiling, striving, working. It's those who are attempting to earn their salvation. That's those who are working so hard to try to make God happy. Those who are working so hard to try to earn love and uh, an entrance into heaven from God's hand. Those who are trying to be justified by their works. Those are the laboring. And he describes them too as heavy laden. Those who are bearing great burdens of man-made commandments and expectations. In, in Luke eleven forty six, Jesus rebukes the scribes and Pharisees for loading people with burdens hard to bear, for giving command after command after command that God never gave, adding stone after stone after stone to the basket on their back, burdening them down with additional rules, regulations, and commands that God never gave. Gave. We see the same modern principle in cults today, in Catholicism. Even much of what is called social justice, adding additional man-made burdens and compelling people to bear them. These are the people Jesus is inviting. And of course, if we step back and just consider Jesus' words generally here, we see that Jesus is speaking to those who are generally weighed down and troubled. Yes, by sin, or by struggles, or by circumstances. The relevance of his words in our text speak to weary sinners, regardless of that source of weariness and burden, regardless of what that specifically may be. 
And one thing I love about Jesus' invitation, not the only thing, but one of the things that I love is that while God's decree is particular in electing sinners and calling sinners, Jesus' invitation is public and universal to all sinners who would hear, to all who would listen. He says, all who are weary and heavy laden, all of them. Our own evangelism should reflect this general call of the gospel too, shouldn't it? We can be as as reformed as the day is long and yet learn from Jesus' invitation to come to him here. He does not invite some sinners, some weary people, but it is open to all who would receive it. All those who labor and are heavy laden will let God sort out the rest. But we should appeal to all. Do you recognize yourself in Jesus' invitation here? Do you recognize yourself as weary, as laboring, as weighed down and burdened? Are you a laboring, burdened sinner trying to earn God's favor but only reaping spiritual, mental, physical exhaustion? Are you in despair because you just cannot seem to climb that ladder to heaven? Are you weighed down by the brokenness of this world? Are you drowning in your anxieties and your sorrows only to get your head above water for a moment before you're sucked back down? If that's you, Christ's invitation is for you. It is for you. And those sinners, Jesus says, that come to him will receive rest. They'll receive rest. He invites those striving for salvation under the burden of the law and the commandments of men, those crushed by troubles and struggles to come to him. Not that they would strive harder or or put in more effort or white-knuckle it through their troubles just on a better path. No, he invites them to come to him that they may receive rest. He says, I will give you rest. I will give it to you. You will receive it from me, he says. That that peace, rejuvenation, refreshment, rest. Does your heart ache for that rest? Do you see your need for that rest? And we'll talk about what that rest is in a moment in, in detail. But here in verse 28, notice the wonderful reality that rest is something we simply receive from Christ. It is something we simply receive from Him when we come to Him in faith. What a wonderful thing to consider. Now faith, after all, that is something that receives. The nature of true faith is receiving from God. Right? It's not a work, but through faith in Christ we receive the blessings of salvation. Consider the posture of rest. That is a posture of receiving, is it not? It's not a posture of working. It's not a posture of earning or laboring. We're not, we're not resting when we're doing those things. We're working, right? And we have a goal in mind. But when we are resting, we are simply receiving. Christ's invitation is simple. It is come and receive. Come and receive. And that's hard for prideful people, isn't it? 
That's very hard for prideful people, isn't it? We have a very hard time accepting even small blessings from, from other people. Oh no, I can't take that, right? That's, I, I don't need charity, right? I, I don't want to put you out. I don't want to use your resources, I, right? And generally our intentions can be good there. But it is hard for us to simply receive. We always feel that need to reciprocate, don't we? Always. It's always there in the back of our minds. Even genuine Christians at times confess salvation by grace, right? We know that's true on paper. We'd pass the test on paper. But, but in our actual relationship with God, sometimes we doubt the fullness and freeness of His grace towards us. Like, God's given me 99%, but that 1%, I, I need to reciprocate that back to Him. And that's very different than living for Him out of gratitude, right? Gratitude's not paying a debt, right? Gratitude's not um, fulfilling the gap here. Even at times, we feel there's a little bit we have to do on our part to repay God for His grace. But what does Jesus do here? He says, come and receive rest from me. Just come and receive it. Just come and receive it. It's the same kind of invitation we see in Isaiah 55, when God, uh, God invites people to come and receive. Isaiah 55 Starting in verse 1, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. That is the kind of invitation Jesus is extending here. You have nothing to offer him. You have nothing to offer him. You don't have any money. You don't have anything to trade or to barter. You have nothing. I have nothing. And he says, just come and receive this gift of rest. That's what he says to us. That's what he invites us to come and receive. And yet at the same time, Christ's call to rest is not a call to inactivity or spiritual laziness. Right? We want to make, we want to make sure we understand that because what do we see in the beginning of verse 29? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Jesus calls us to come and receive this gift of rest. But he also calls us to do something. There is something going on here. Some participation we are going to have in this process. Now, is this to earn anything? Nope. Is this working to gain something? No. We're still receiving that free gift of rest. But this, too, is part of Jesus' invitation to sinners. But grammatically... It doesn't have that same invitation, but, but it is rather an instruction, a command, an imperative. In other words, the invitation is to come and rest, and if you will come and rest, then this is what will come with it. This is what you will do in that rest. This is the non-negotiable for those who would come to Christ. Now, verse 29 is not saying that uh, those who come to Christ for, for rest, again, will have to work harder under his yoke. The significance of what Jesus is saying actually has to do with something else. Not so much working, but actually something else. Um, yokes in the ancient world were used for, for doing work, of course. It was a, a, usually a wooden cross piece, of, uh, a piece of wood that would extend like this with rope hanging down and you could carry buckets of water. And it would make that job easier. It would make it lighter. Um, so there's that kind of immediate sense we have with work. You're doing a task. But biblically, the image of a yoke actually um, is more associated with slavery. It's more associated with serving another, with belonging to a master. 
not actually with toiling per se, but with that relationship of slave to master. 1 Timothy 6.1, Paul writes to slaves, he says, Yet all, uh, let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. You, you hear that there, let all who are under that yoke, that relationship of slavery. To take Christ's yoke, then, is to belong to him, to put ourselves under him as our master, to be his slave, his bondservant. It is to put our will aside and seek to do his. It's to find our purpose in serving him. When coming to Christ, then, laboring and weary sinners must willingly place themselves under his care and possession and subject themselves to his will. Which leads to the second part, learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. It's the other thing that those who would come to Christ must do. They must learn from him. They must receive his teaching and obey him. And in our minds, we have this problem because we, we, we go, okay, rest is over here, obeying's over here, and they're, they're on the opposite ends of the spectrum here, right? We, we, we incorrectly think those things are mutually exclusive. And that is not true. In fact, it is in our obedience to Christ that we truly experience that rest. And that, that rest is increased. As one commentator notes, Christ is offering those who find their loads too hard to carry a new yoke, which far from adding to their oppression, will ease the burden and paradoxically will not bring further toil but rest. By taking Christ's yoke upon us, by placing ourselves into his care and his service, by obeying him and learning from him, our rest actually increases. Jesus doesn't call sinners to just come to him, find that rest, and then ignore obedience. He doesn't call sinners to come to him, find that rest, uh, to, to take off that, that burden of trying to earn your salvation and then just become libertines and do whatever you want. Right? That's not what he calls us to. He doesn't ex- call us to exchange one kind of law-keeping for salvation for another kind of law-keeping for salvation. He calls us to exchange the yoke of exhausting self-reliance and self-righteousness for reliance upon him, to trust in him, to obey him, that yoke which ultimately leads us and increases us in our rest. But why take on Christ's yoke? If you're not a Christian, you you might say, well, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to follow Jesus? How do I know that by doing that, my life's not going to get harder and my yoke's not going to get heavier? How do I know I can trust his words here? Maybe some in the crowd were thinking that as they heard him speak. What's the difference between Christ and hard, earthly taskmasters? What's the difference between Christ and the Pharisees? They're both teaching the people to do something, right? They're both saying, follow me this way or that way. We see the answer in our two last points, Christ's heart and Christ's promise. Verse 29, we see Christ's heart for sinners. He says, Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. I am gentle and lowly in heart. 
beautiful words from our Savior. And this verse is unique because it is the only place in the Bible, the New Testament, where Christ describes his own heart. This is the only place in the Bible where Christ says, this is what my heart is like. Now, we see it all over the place, right? It's not like, it's not like there's, there's no information for us there. But this is the only place where Christ, with his incarnate mouth, says out loud, this is what my heart is like, gentle and lowly. Gentle and lowly. His heart towards sinners is gentle. It is not it is meek, it is compassionate, it is tender. Christ's heart towards sinners like you and like me is not heavy-handed. It is not critical. It is not berating. But he is ready to kindly receive us. Isaiah 42.3 describes Christ's gentleness this way. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. It's easy to break a bruised reed. It's easy to quench a, a, a wick that's barely burning. It takes more effort in some ways to not damage those things, doesn't it? Christ is mindful of our weakness, our foolishness, our sinfulness, and he knows how to deal with us kindly and gently. That is his heart. That is his desire is to deal with sinners like you and me gently. Hebrews 5.2 speaks about how sinful human priests can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, right? And they're, they're sinful human priests who can do that. How much more so Christ? How much more so Christ? So he is gentle in his heart towards sinners and in his dealings with sinners. And he describes his heart, too, as lowly. Lowly. He's humble. He's humble. He's, he's not condescending. He's not afraid to associate with sinners. He's not afraid to deal with us, even though he is holy, and we are not. He's not like the Pharisees, considering himself above us and avoiding us out of risk of defilement. He's not like that. He doesn't consider himself too good to interact and deal with and invite sinners. And do we not see this humility in his incarnation? Uh, Paul writes this in Philippians 2, starting in verse 3. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, in other words, a thing to be clung to like a prized possession, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. This is the king of kings we're talking about. He's the servant of no one. And yet he humbled himself willingly to take on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men, the creator taking on creation? That's not a small gap between creator and creation. It's not, it's not, it's not that big. It's, it, is, it is an infinite gap that we cannot even bridge in our minds. And yet, he was willing to do 
that. And being found in human form, Paul writes, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ is so lowly in heart that he does not even consider it, you know, I mean, inviting sinners, that's one thing, right? Okay, inviting sinners come to me. But then he, he goes beyond that and says, and now I will die for you. I will lay down my life for you, my life which is precious, which has pleased the Father from beginning to end. An in, I mean, an invaluable gift beyond measure. And I will not account myself as anything, but I will die for you. I will die for you. We think we're pretty great. We're not that great. That's not a fair exchange there, guys. I will die for you, he says. That is humility that we cannot reach the bottom of. And yet that is his heart towards you. That is his heart towards you. Gentle and lowly. And why does Christ speak of his heart here? Why does he say this? I think it's to coax and encourage sinners to come to him and learn from him to take his yoke upon them. He seeks to assure us that he is not like the hard and burdensome Pharisees, that he's not a harsh master, that he's not going to put on a good front and then beat us when the doors are closed, but that because he is gentle and lowly, we don't need to be afraid of coming to Him. We don't need to be afraid of placing ourselves under His care and submitting to Him. But we can trust He is my gentle and lowly Lord who will deal with me that way. Do you have trouble trusting Christ? Do you have trouble trusting Him? Let the description of his heart be an encouragement to you. He is gentle and he is lowly towards you. And he will deal with you kindly and compassionately. And Christ's words should also cause us to ask whether we have a similar heart in our own dealings with others. Are we gentle with them? Are we harsh and disdainful? Are we lowly in heart? Are we judgmental and self-righteous? If we are to learn from Christ, then we should seek to have a heart like His, right? And because of Christ's gentle and lowly heart, we should take His promise of rest seriously because we can know confidently that He actually desires to give that to us. It's not that the Father says, Hey, Jesus, you need to give those sinners rest. But Jesus desires to do that. He is eager to give sinners rest. And that is his promise in verse 29 and 30. His promise to sinners. He promises those who come to him that they will find rest for their souls. Verse 28. We'll find rest for our souls. This is a promise that is both simple and profound. When we come to him in faith and when we learn from him, when we understand and know that he is gentle and lowly towards us, we will find rest for our souls. 
And is this not what so many are searching for at some level? Rest for their souls? I mean, consider, consider yourself, right? Consider the world around us. Our world is an inherently restless place. Our world does not know the meaning of the word contentment. Right? This begins in the garden. Adam and Eve were in this beautiful state of union with God. They had all that they needed. Eden was a place of true rest. And they lost it. And so began thousands and thousands and thousands of years of fruitless, restless toil. A life that all humanity has been living ever since. Why do people look forward to retirement so much? Our world is always seeking rest and never finding it. J.C. Rao remarks, Unrest is one of the great characteristics of the world. Hurry, vexation, failure, disappointment stare us in the face on every side. And this is true. This is an accurate description of our world and, and, and the people in it. More people struggle at this point in history with anxiety and depression than ever before. Discontentment and hopelessness are at levels in our society today uh, never before seen. Consumerism and retail therapies easier than ever, right? You're feeling a little down, you're feeling restless, just go buy that thing, press buy now on Amazon, you're, you're good to go. We see, we see the fruit of individual unrest blossom into social unrest as people worry about the future, about world affairs, about the housing market, the climate, the next election, Russia, China, right, on and on and on and on and on. Our world and the people in it are restless. They are without rest for their souls. Perhaps you are as well this morning. And there's really two main reasons that people are without rest. Uh, the first is that they don't seek rest from Jesus. They don't seek rest from where rest can actually be found. Uh, the second reason is that they seek rest from the wrong things. They seek rest from their circumstances or, or their possessions, right? They, they want to change their situations so that things are different. And that will give me rest rather than realizing the rest they need is for their souls. You know, it's like when you're thirsty and you keep eating salty stuff. And you just get thirstier and thirstier and thirstier. That is what seeking rest in anything apart from Christ is like. It just makes you more unrestless. More restless, I mean. Because you see, well, that didn't work. Maybe this will work. Well, that didn't work. Maybe this will work. Well, that didn't work. Maybe this will work. And there is never rest. Never rest. They don't realize. We, at times, do not realize that what we really need is rest for our souls. Rest for our souls. Biblically, our soul is the immaterial part of who we are. That's the spiritual um, aspect of who we are. It's our inner person. It's our heart. True, lasting rest, Jesus says, is a matter of the what? Of the soul. Not the circumstances. It's a matter of the soul, not the circumstances. Augustine one of those famous Christians of, of old spoke of his own experience of coming to Christ. And, and he's famous for saying, You've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Indeed, we deeply need the soul rest that Jesus can provide. So ask yourself, are you, are you constantly stressed, anxious, guilty, <coughs> depressed, discontent, fearful, and unhappy? 
Come to Jesus and he can give you rest where you need rest. And he gives our souls rest in a couple different ways. He gives our souls rest from the burden of sin's guilt that weighs upon our consciousness and, and brings our souls down in despair. Psalm 103.12, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. It's that story, Pilgrim's Progress, where the burden on Christian's back is taken off at the cross and he is free, no longer weighed down by that guilt of sin. Christ gives us rest from that burden. He gives us rest from attempting to earn our own salvation through works of the law that we might rest in the free righteousness of Christ given to us through the grace of God. Paul knew this when he wrote in Philippians 3, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness of God that depends on faith. He gives us rest from trying to earn our way to heaven with his righteousness. He gives us rest in the midst of life's troubles, which he may allow difficult circumstances. He does. He does. But he gives us rest in the midst of them. Philippians 4, 5 through 7, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's rest. And finally, he'll give our souls their ultimate Sabbath rest as we enter his glorious presence, our, our earthly labors completed. Hebrews 4, 9 through 10, So then there remains a Sabbath rest, for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And that is our final and eternal rest. So his rest is not one dimensional. It is like a diamond which each side reflects a different color. But we must be clear, right? We, we need to be clear about something. The ultimate problem and burden that man needs rest from is the guilt of his sin. It is the guilt of his sin. And, and, and the, the uh, fruitless work of trying to get rid of that guilt by himself. That is what you and I primarily need rest from. And in fact, we don't get those other kinds of rest if we don't have that. You cannot have true rest if you have not been set free from your burden of sin. But what about after we become Christians? Right? What about we've come to Christ in faith, we've received that gift of salvation? What about then? Well, once we become Christians, receiving that forgiveness, experiencing that rest in a reconciled relationship with God should have a massive ripple effect through the rest of our lives. And it should continuously draw us back to Christ. Now, Jesus is not saying Okay, we profess faith, we become a Christian, we say the sinner's prayer, and then poof, we'll never struggle with a restless heart again. All right, that's not what Jesus is saying. To find rest in Christ happens in an active relationship with Him. And when we find ourselves in a state of heart restlessness, it's not because Jesus overpromised and underdelivered. 
It's not because uh, Jesus wasn't able to get all of the rest in that day and you only have 80% of the rest today. It's not like that at all. When we have a restless heart as Christians, it's not because he's failing, it's because we have stopped seeking it from him. Right? Think about it. When we are mindful of our forgiven state, and not, not just like, yeah, I know I'm forgiven, thanks Lord, and then we don't think about it the rest of the day, but when we are actually cognizant of the reality of that, that the creator and judge of the universe has forgiven us of all of our sins, when we are consciously walking with Christ, when we are wanting to learn from him and wanting to know him, we will be more concerned with handling life's problems biblically. We will be quicker to trust God through those problems. We'll be more concerned with honoring and glorifying him, which is what we were made to do, isn't it? We'll be more confident in his faithfulness and his promises. It's when we're not doing those things and not living that way that our hearts become restless. And the main problem that we have as Christians is that we fail to connect the gospel for salvation to the gospel for like living daily life. We put those things over here, right? Okay, I know I'm saved. But we don't always think about how that justification, that salvation, all those things, that adoption, that reconciliation, all that, how that affects every moment of every day of our life. Right? We have trouble bridging that gap. But how much more restful would your soul be if Christ was the first one you went to with your sin and your troubles? And if you went to him quickly? How much more restful would you be if you meditated on his gentle and lowly heart towards you? If you considered more his promises and his works? I know my heart would be a lot more restful. And as we come to verse 30, we see Jesus explain how it is that we can find rest even while bearing his yoke. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. This does not contradict Jesus' statement about taking up your cross and following him. Jesus is not oblivious to the challenges of the Christian life. But what he's saying is that discipleship to him is not burdensome. Being Jesus' disciple does not weigh down our souls, but it lifts them up. Our service to him, especially compared to trying to earn our own salvation, and to deal with life's troubles on our own, right, our own wisdom and our strength, discipleship to him is light. It is light. It's like a feather. There is joy and peace and rest in following and obeying him and taking that yoke upon ourselves. Yes, you know, our participation in discipleship involves uh, sacrifice and sweat, right? Jesus calls us to do some pretty hard things, doesn't he? If your right hand causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your you know, right hand causes you yes, that's, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty hard stuff. Put the deeds of the flesh to death by the Spirit. Have you ever tried doing that? It's, uh, it's uh, not an easy work. It's not a cakewalk. But it lifts up our hearts. Being his disciple lifts up our hearts. It is easy and light when we consider what he has given us for our journey as pilgrims to make that light. He's given us his righteousness as a gift. No more fearful striving for God's approval. He's given us his spirit as our helper, our comforter, our counselor. 
He's given us his word to guide us and direct us, to refresh our hearts and our souls. He's given us his own intercession, praying for us constantly, being ready and able to help us with mercy and grace in our time of need. And he's given us each other to help bear one another's burdens. How light do those things make our walk with him if only we would consider and rely upon them. He's given us such rich blessings, such graces, such help, such resources to make the yoke of obedience and discipleship light, sweet, and uplifting to our hearts. If only we would use them. Perhaps some of you are here this morning and you've not come to Christ. Maybe you're not a Christian at all and this is all new stuff for you. Perhaps you don't see a need for Christ. Perhaps you're <laughs> professing Christ with, your, with your, your, your lips, right? On paper, yes, I'm a Christian, but your heart is still striving for your own salvation. Having heard Christ's words this morning, his invitation, having seen his heart, will you wait to come to him? Would you hesitate in coming to him? Do not wait any longer. Do not wait any longer. Lay down your pride. Come to the gentle and lowly Savior who stands ready and eager to bless you with true, everlasting rest for your soul. And of course, perhaps some of you I know are sincere and true Christians. But perhaps this morning you find your hearts restless and troubled, blown about by the winds of sin and circumstances. Come to Christ. Rekindle your fellowship with Him. Remind yourself of His love for you, of His continuing work as your Redeemer, of His faithful promises. Don't let yourself be tossed about any longer in restlessness, but anchor your soul to Christ. Know His peace. In the words of the old hymn, Come ye sinners poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you wait until you're better, you will never come at all. Come to Christ today, friends, and know his rest. Let's pray. Oh, our Lord. Words cannot speak of your kindness to us. Lord, we are deserving of your wrath, deserving of your, your judgments and your rebukes. How kind you are, Lord, not to cast us away, but to continuously call us to yourself to continuously invite us to yourself to find that rest that is there for our souls, that rest that can only be found in knowing you. Lord, I pray for those who are troubled today, those who are burdened by their own attempts to be righteous before you in heaven's court to earn their justification by works. 
Oh, Lord, may they hear the words of Christ. May they simply come and receive salvation from Him. And Lord, for those who know Christ, who love Christ, and yet who have restless hearts today, Lord Jesus, remind them of who you are. Remind them of your gentle and lowly heart. Remind them of where true rest can be found. And may they go quickly to you. Lord, we thank you for this, this perpetual invitation. For Lord, we often need to hear it. And Lord, we thank you that your words to us this morning are words of grace. Words of sweetness. Words of honey to our souls. Lord, may we find rest in you, not today only, but continuously coming back to you for that. Lord, how kind you are. We praise you, Lord Jesus. Amen.